Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Good afternoon and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. We're recording today's episode on a gorgeous, rainy spring day in Portland, Oregon, right smack in the middle of the month of April. But you'll be listening to the show on my birthday, April 25th, just a couple weeks from now. We've got a great show for you today with timely conversations to help support you in a wide range of academic and personal transitions. Our admissions topics today will touch on AP exams and what to do if you and your parents disagree on where you should go to school. And we'll even take some time in the finance corner to dive into the expanding world of micro scholarships. What does that mean? We'll find out in the final segment. But before we start today's show in earnest, I want to take a moment to congratulate all the seniors out there for making their way through these last few months. I imagine that all of you have experienced some ups and downs, have felt both validated and frustrated by some of the decisions you've received from schools this year. My advice to you is to learn from this experience, whatever outcomes you received, and to start to get excited. While we often treat admission to college as an end in itself, it truly is the start of the next new adventure. I said on a Facebook Live video a couple weeks ago that I think the most important variable in this process is you, the student, and I think that we often forget how much control we really have over our own success. So congratulations, enjoy making your next decision. We'll talk a little bit about that in the second segment, uh, and good luck on that next big adventure. Okay. On to the show. Uh, Joining me for our first segment today is one of our many talented admissions experts, Lauren Randall. Lauren, welcome back to the show. Thanks so much, Ian. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. So you and I are talking today about the AP exams. And obviously, we are not content and curricular experts, but we know a little bit about how the APs work with respect to the college application process, which is what we want to focus on today. Now, Mm -hmm. AP exam weeks are coming up, May 6th through 10th, and again, May 13th through 17th. Um, Let's just sort of start with the very basics. Uh, What are AP exams? Um, What's the scoring scale? What are just sort of some basic primers, especially for parents of younger students who might not know exactly what we're talking about here? Sure. So the AP exams are considered a, well, first of all, it's a standardized test. Uh, whether you are in Alabama or Alaska, it's supposed to be a standard curriculum teaching toward a test to evaluate the, that content in one particular subject area. So right. it's not like the SAP or the ACT. We are focusing on one subject um, and trying to master that, that content area. So it could be something like chemistry um, or literature or uh, Spanish. So it, it's a one um, it's a one subject uh, uh, focus. Now, it's a year, typically, it's a year long course that will prepare you for that exam. There could be some differentiation uh, of how the high school runs that, but that's that's pretty much the the intention. Um, and it's a very high level. It is um, intended to be, uh, if not at, or pretty darn close to a college-level course. 
Um, and the way they indicate that is that many colleges will offer credit or placement um, for successful completion of that examination. Yeah, I think that's that's a great sort of overview to start. And what are some of the possible, just the possible results that student can get once they take the exam? What's the scoring scale look like? Yeah, well, uh, the scoring scale, I, I believe you can't get a zero, I, I say, so I'm not <laughs> totally sure on that, but it's one through five. Right. A five is, is the highest score. Um, generally speaking, a three and above, three, four, or five is considered passing. Now, what that means from the college perspective, and, and I think we'll probably get into this, of, of credit or placement, that's really up to the college. They might give credit for a three, they might only give credit for a four or five, or they might not give credit at all. Um, so that, that's up to the college, but generally speaking, a three and above is considered uh, passing. Yeah, I, and I think we'll come back to that concept of of credit and the role that mm-hmm. this exam score plays in college credit later on. And I think it's no mistake that Lauren's talking about credit pretty frequently as she describes this exam because it's it's primarily a credit-based test. But I do want to sort of return to the idea of the relationship between the examination and the class that students take. So the exam exists on its own. Um but mm-hmm. it usually is integrated with coursework that students take during their high school career. What is the relationship between the AP exams students will be taking in May and the courses that they've taken in advance of those exams? Yeah, that's, that, that is a good point because it, the exam is standalone. Technically, any student can sign up and, and walk in and, and take it on their own um, or, or study, study for it. Uh, on their own for that exam. So I think that is an important point, but that's um, not, I would say that's probably not the norm. Um, most of the time it is a high, it's a designated course within the high school. Um, whether or not they call it AP, sometimes they do. Sometimes they might just call it an honors course that still could prepare them for that, for that test. Um, but oftentimes that indicates to college admissions officers, but that's probably the highest level or a very high level course offering within that high school. Um, so it, it, it's taken by, so I think there is a difference between the course and the exam um, in terms of admissions versus what the college does with, with that examination um, once you enroll. Um, but for admissions purpose, the class is the indicator that you're at a very high level uh, within that subject area. And I think that that is a really important point to make is that, and, and this tends to be very different from what you will see at international universities, where the emphasis tends to be more on exam results that you receive at the end of the year, as opposed to the grades that you receive in the class over the course of the year. When we're looking at American colleges and universities, the emphasis from the standpoint of a college admissions officer is really on the grades you receive day over day, because those predict the kind of success you'll have as a student when you get to the college level courses. And so that raises the question, Lauren, what what do exams do for students? Let's put aside the credit process. What do the exams mm-hmm. do for students in the admission process, and what sort of role do they play here? Sure. So as an admissions officer, if I see that that student has taken that high-level course and done well in it, you know, gotten a B in an AP course, I would say, wow, you know, they're, they're probably ready for college. Um, right. So that's, 
that, that's a feather in your cap. That's something that I'm, I'm going to be impressed by that you, that you've taken on that challenge and, and done well in that course. So I am looking for the grade, the end grade from that course. Um, and that you, that you've challenged yourself there. Um, that, that's how it helps from the admission standpoint. I, I'm pretty confident that you are ready for college. Um, right. It can be a really nice compliment uh, if you show that high level, um, and it happens to match perhaps with your intended major or focus. So, you know, if you are aiming, if you're applying for an engineering program, and I see you have um, AP calculus and uh, AP physics. Well, that would be I would know that you have great preparation and I can trust that preparation um, to come into and and perhaps start in my engineering program. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right on. Um, And, 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 you know, you're sort of mentioning realities about how these subjects might overlap with uh, intended academic programs. I mean, you're often going to see that there are, especially at highly selective engineering programs, an expectation for students to take AP level exams in math and science or the equivalent. equivalent. Now, I'm sorry, not AP level exams, mm-hmm. AP classes. And that's an important distinction. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to do, would you humor me for a moment to do um, a quick lightning round around how you might interpret a couple of scenarios as they pertain to AP classes and AP exams? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay, good. Um, and and I'll just as a disclaimer, I know there's no other context for this situation, but I, I'm just sort of curious what what your interpretation might be for a couple of cases. So mm-hmm. case number one, a uh, student takes an AP class. They receive a C in the class and a five on the AP exam. What do you think of that? Yep. I, I think there's some kind of disconnect there. I would say either this student isn't turning in their homework or is not taking the class quite as seriously, or it is an incredibly hard uh, grader for the teacher. But if they get a five on the, on, the, on the exam, I still have to trust that they have mastery in that content because you can't pass that exam. You can't get a five without knowing your stuff. Does something else happen in order to get a C? Okay, that's good. Good start. All right. Now let's say we've got a student who's taken an AP class, and they've gotten an A in the class, but a 2 on the exam. What do you think there? Yeah, well, first of all, as an admissions officer, I hope I never saw that 2. They don't have to show that to me. That that's something that I don't have to see. It is not required. I didn't I I didn't mandate that you report it to me, but if you send it, I can't unsee it. So that's not going to help. Um, I'm still most concerned though. That wouldn't be the the X on 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 your on your application. I'm still most concerned that or, or most impressed that you got the A in the class. That's my first right. uh, circle there. Um, but I would say you know that probably wasn't the best day for them. Something something was amiss, and I wish that I had never seen that too because they didn't have to send it. So, so that's a, another great scenario. Let's say we have a student that takes an AP class, and let's say they've actually taken two AP classes, and for one, they got an mm-hmm. A and a four, and for the other, mm-hmm. they have no exam results to report, but they got an A in the class. Mm-hmm. How do you mm-hmm. interpret that situation? Sure. Well, the first student, again, you can't unsee something. So if I saw a four, I'd say, wow, great, that helped that student. But because the other student didn't send me the score, I wouldn't necessarily, I, I, don't, I, I don't look for reasons to hurt that student. I wouldn't say, well, they right. must have failed that. 
I would say they, they just simply didn't report it, and that's the student's prerogative, or they, they forgot to report it or didn't know that they could. Um, so it, it, that, that part of it is simply a neutral. Um, it didn't help. It didn't hurt. I'm just going to focus on the A in the course. It's a non-factor. And, and I think, you know, there are a lot of different ways that potentially an exam score might not show up on an application. It might be that you took it, did poorly, and didn't report it. It might be that you never signed mm-hmm. up for it. It might be that you were mm-hmm. discouraged from signing up for it by your school. It might be that you got sick and you couldn't take the mm-hmm. exam even though you did sign up for it and so you missed your chance. So admission officers don't know what the explanation is for the absence of a score and so they have to look at the material that is present which is the grade in this case. So what Lauren is very strenuously suggesting and I completely agree with her is that you don't need to and shouldn't report scores that are not passing scores on AP exams. Yeah. One more one more exactly. scenario I want to give you, I want to give you Lauren. Um, I'm a student and I have an A in regular standard level calculus in my school. Mm -hmm. Um, There is an AP calculus class in my school, but I decided not to take it. I took the AP exam at the end of the year and I got a five on that AP calculus exam, despite taking the regular level course and doing well in that course. Let's say I got an A in that course. What is your thought there? I think good for you. Way to go. Uh, That shows that, uh, well, first of all, it it shows one thing that you probably could have done the work in the, or probably definitely could have done the work in the AP class. So, you know, maybe I wish that you had pushed yourself there, but I I, I can't, uh, you know, I can't assume why you did or did not take a a certain course. Um, So that could definitely help show um, that you went above and beyond that I knew then that you had to self-study for it at some level to prepare for that exam. So I think that that's impressive. And but I, I, I still, think, that being said, I would still rather see the students take the AP class if they right. think they could do well in that class if it's offered. Right. And I think that there are some simple interpretations that we can sort of see when we see the outputs of these situations. But I think there's also a question of how you advise students when they're making this choice. Generally, what's your approach for students who have not taken an AP class and tell you that they want to study independently for the exam? What do you usually say to them? I, I would say that's a big endeavor. Um, so it's something that we really have to uh, want to spend that kind of time and energy because it's not an extracurricular activity. You can't put on your activity or right. your resume that you spent five hours a week preparing for the AP physics exam. It's Great simply, point. if you do it, um, I'm going to be impressed that you did it on your own. But you can't really demonstrate all that back work um, that they've done to prepare for it. So if it's something, something is good. Something else is going to give, you know, other grades are slipping or you have to drop other activities. I would really ask whether or not that was worth it. Because one more, you know, I'm assuming the kid who wants to do that probably um, has has good testing or other accolades elsewhere. Um, I don't think that one AP exam is all of a sudden going to be that, that golden ticket for him. That's right. Not a lot of students are jumping up and down to take exams for fun. And and so there's usually a reason that students do that. And I think you and I would tend towards recommending that students prove aptitude with the SAT subject test before mm-hmm. doing some self-study for the AP exam, because those subject tests are more relevant in the admission process. And those AP exams um, are more relevant uh, in the credit award process. And I- I'd love if you could just take Agreed. a moment. We've got about a minute left to go, but I, I wonder if you could mm-hmm. talk about the role of uh, AP exam results in college credit. 
Sure. And this should go more, at, well, it goes for all students taking APs, but especially a reminder to those seniors who are a, a week away or two weeks away, or I guess a couple weeks away from taking these exams. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't forget about them. Just because you are in college, you're admitted, you put in your enrollment and you want to be done. Um, if you put the work behind the AP course, take the test. If your, your college could absolutely award a credit or placement, um, so you might get out of that write, that freshman writing class or get out of physics um, requirement by taking that exam. Um, so it can, it can be, it could be money in your pocket by getting credit, um, or it could be time and uh, by giving, getting placements. And you can choose to take a class that, um, you know, another level class, another option. So it is, it is worth your while to take it and do your best on it. One, I would agree with that in in most terms. I think there's also one small counterpoint, which is if you know you're going to a college that doesn't give you much at all in the way of credit for AP exams, uh, you might decide not to take them, which is something that I did when I was a senior because uh, Reed wasn't going to give me any kind of significant value over taking my AP exams, and I already knew I was going there. So I decided I, I wouldn't take it. But I think that that tends to be the exception more than the rule. The only, the only pushback I would say, having worked on the high school side, um, it, it's a nice thing to still do for your teachers. True. Your teachers that have spent all year, they actually really care about the results. They get those results, and a lot of teachers consider their performance based on the averages. Um, so it's, it's a nice thing if you think you're going to pass it. It's not going to kill you to take one more test. Um, maybe do it for your teacher at the end of the day. All right. I think you're probably right on that, Lauren. I, f- I feel a little bad about that now. So I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and, and talking to us about AP exams and for humoring me on that lightning round, too. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. I had fun. Thanks, Ian. All right, folks. When we come back, we're going to wade into difficult parent and student conversations. You're not going to want to go anywhere. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the show. Now, before we jump into our next segment, I'd like to take a moment to turn our school spotlight on a small college in the Northeast. Situated one hour outside of Boston, Worcester Polytechnic Institute is known for combining theory with practice, ensuring that all graduates are prepared to use their technical knowledge for the betterment of society. Project-based learning is a hallmark at WPI as its 4,600 undergraduate students are required to complete both an interactive project focused on science, technology, and society, and a major project within their major field of study in order to graduate. What's wonderful about WPI's projects are their global scale. Thanks to the Global Projects Program, forward-thinking students can receive $5,000 to complete their project at one of the 50-plus centers around the world, which might entail working on sustainable farming practices in Japan, virtual reality in Switzerland, or environmentally friendly transportation in Ecuador. Every spring, seniors have the chance to present their major projects to faculty advisors and outside sponsors. Including in last year's exhibition schedule were discussions on the metabolic mysteries of Alzheimer's and smart home building automation. Looking for more unusual engineering-based measures? Well, WPI has them. Here you can study aerospace, architectural, biomedical, fire protection, and robotics engineering, as well as business-related majors like industrial and management engineering. Now, many students are preparing to make their deposits at WPI next week and other universities all over the country. And if they're lucky, their parents will be in full agreement with their decision. But what if they aren't in full agreement with that decision? Joining me to talk about some of the challenges of making that final decision at the end of April is my colleague from way out in New Jersey, Lisa Albro. Hey, Lisa, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ian. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. It's great to have you on the show. And I think that, you know, we're obviously a little bit late in the timeline and, you know, we don't want to be in a position where we're having tough conversations with under some time pressure, but it does happen. Um, And so Mm -hmm. whenever you find yourself as a family in a situation where there's a a disagreement on a big decision like this, what are some just sort of initial recommendations that you might uh, have for both parents and students to think about a way to come to a, a good agreement about where to go to college? Mm-hmm. That's great, great questions, Ian. And, and it happens all the time, as I'm sure you have witnessed. Yeah. Uh, I've seen it at least, at least once a year, but usually several times more. Um, so first thing I always say to families uh, is, and to both parents and students, I know it's really hard. But try to take the emotion out of it and just think about it in a, in a more kind of linear way. Just just think about the facts that you would like to present in your discussion with each other instead mm-hmm. of the you know the, the the ball of emotion that's usually tied up with this. 
uh, right. sometimes on both sides, right? Sometimes it's more on one side than the other. Yeah, I, I think that that can be the case. And, and I, I think that there can be some trouble there. But I, I, I would totally agree with you. I think that even if you are feeling emotional about your decision and you think it's really important, you're going to get more headway in the conversation if you take it away, right? You're, you're more likely to have somebody listen to you if you're reasonable and rational, even if you've got a whole bunch of emotion bumbling underneath as you think about the option. Um, so, right. so how, how might you move forward? So let's say you're, well, before you even move forward, let's say you're, you're sort of gathering your ideas and you're either the parent or you're the student and you want to get ready to have this conversation that needs to be had. What are some steps that you can take to make sure that the conversation is a productive one? Mm-hmm. Right. Like I said, so after the taking the emotion out of it, sit down and put your thoughts on paper or type them up or put them on your iPad or what, whatever it is that you do, spell them all out, right? Because it's easier to approach the conversation when you have your points made. Um, so, and this would be both on the student and parent side. Think about the full scope of your objection to the school or your support of the school, you know, whatever, whatever your, your position is about that, um, and, and write down those reasons, those valid reasons. It can't just be a quick answer like, well, I just don't like that school, or I don't want to see you going there. <laughs> that, that doesn't right. float. Uh, you really need to convince each other about why you want that place or don't want that place and, and you know, the good reasons for that, right? Um, yeah. And I, I would I think... also say check your bias. That's, that's a big focus, too. And, and I say this to both parents and students, too. Um, one of the constant, I think, biases I hit up against with parents about certain schools is they have a recollection of that school's reputation from back when, you know, back when they were mm. applying to colleges, right? And, and I think we all know of some of those schools, and I won't mention any names, but, uh, you know, a parent will say, oh, you know, all you needed was a pulse to get into that school when I was <laughs> applying to college. And, and I'll have to say, well, uh, maybe that's how you saw it then. But the, the reputation of the school now is, you know, you'll have to kind of look into what the school has become since their memory of it is, is kind of stuck in their mind. But yeah. by the same token, I think a lot of students have that bias, too, where they might say, well, I don't want to go there. So-and-so went there who graduated the year before me, and maybe they don't hold that person in high esteem. Or, you know, I've, I've had students say to me before, oh, well, you know, only, only you know, the, the, the low-achieving kids go to that school or, you know, something of that nature. And, I, I, you know, you have to get your mind out of that place. Right, and start right. to look at some of the good aspects. I think that's true. I mean, I think that fundamentally there, there are two really important things that you're hitting on here. One is the, the importance, I think, we, and we hit on this a lot as we talk about every aspect of this process, is sort of that stay in your lane kind of discussion, which is that the decisions you make for yourself about where to apply, um, where you ultimately choose, what your essay is going to be on, those are decisions that you really want to make without thinking about all the other people and their independent decisions outside of you. So you don't want to let mm-hmm. other people have, uh, you know, a huge amount of influence on the decision you're making, especially a really big one, like where you're going to go to school. Um, the other thing that you touched on that I really liked was it sort of reminded me of, you, you can't just say do it because I say so, or that's how I feel about it. You know, it's something that that's how I talk to my six and five year old, right? Because I can still do that. They're still kids. But this is sort of the beginning of your child going off and 
starting to become an adult. And and I think you want to start that process with really positive feelings with sort of a, a belief that they have some ownership over this decision. And, you know, they, they're not making it all unilaterally, but they are involved in sort of collaborating with you as an adult uh, on making this decision together. Um, and with, yeah. with, with that in mind, Lisa, I mean, what are some things that sort of can allow, that, that parents can do to help their students feel like they are a part of the conversation, whether that's, you know, sharing information or speaking more openly. Uh, how might you make your child feel like you're collaborating together on the right choice for them? Mm-hmm. Again, great question. I think maybe investigating the school together, you know, looking at the different aspects of the school, whether it's the parent who wants the student to go there and the student doesn't want to or vice versa, maybe approach it together from a kind of a research standpoint, too, and say, okay, what are all the things that this place does offer? Let me take out my bias and look for, you know, what are some of the good things? Uh, and both, both sides need to consider that. But uh, also, I think it's important for parents to remember and to remind their kids that a college experience is, is what he or she makes of it. You know, you can go yeah. to the best school or the you know, whatever, the school that you don't think is best, but it, there, there are no bad colleges. Yeah. You know, there's yeah, no such thing right. as a bad college. It's, it's when a student approaches his or her education with an open mind and an openness to all the opportunities and, and the willingness to seek those opportunities out and, and, and grab them when they see them, uh, they can make the most of any situation. Yeah, and Lisa, that actually raises a really interesting point, I think, because we're sort of, we're talking about situations where students and parents disagree, but I think that there are also some situations that we run into here where students and parents are just both kind of disappointed that, you know, they didn't get Mm -hmm. the decisions that they thought they would get. They're on the same page, but nobody's really excited about the options that are on the table. And I think that as a parent, um, you know, one thing that you can do in this case is is take that advice to heart. There really are no bad colleges. You chose to apply to these schools because there were things you liked about them. And while you can be disappointed that you didn't get into your top choices, there also are such, a, you know, a wonderful set of opportunities that are in front of you to choose as well. And I think the more that parents can sort of flip that switch to focus on the positive aspects of the options, as opposed to dwelling on the negatives, the quicker that happens, the better. Um, yes. I, I, I wanted to ask you about sort of an important consideration where we haven't even brought up the topic of, of cost and how that fits into <laughs> this process, right? And that is a sticky one um, because there are, that really is, it comes down to, to figures. Um, how might students and parents approach that kind of conversation where there isn't necessarily a meeting in the middle in terms of what it's going to cost. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes, unfortunately, I think, well, maybe it's not unfortunate, but it, it is what it is. You know, you have a, a finite or number of, of dollars, right, to spend on the education for whatever reason, for whatever circumstances. And sometimes students just have to, I think, accept that. But I think Parents do, too, because I I talk to a lot of parents who feel terrible that they can't afford to send their children where their children most want to go. They got into these schools. They're very excited about them. But for whatever reason, the finances just aren't jiving. And parents feel I've actually had parents say to me, I feel like I failed my child. And it's it's 
sad to hear that, and and I have to kind of say to them, well, you know, you you haven't, and and you know, this is a this is a collaboration too, and and I think there's very much a mindset among a lot of parents that they want to be able to foot the whole bill and not have their students take out loans and so forth, but but. It's an education and it's an investment. And I try to talk them through the, the thought that the student can also invest in this. And, and well, I, I can't say should. I think they should personally, but I, <laughs> <laughs> right. you know, but I also invested in my own education as a student. So, uh, and, and every time I wrote that loan check after I got my first job out of college and in the years following, it was okay. It hurts a little bit to, to spend this money now, but my, education allowed me to get this job that's allowing me to pay off this loan. <laughs> so, right, you know, right. I had to think of it that way. And for students, I always, I, I you know, think they, they feel like it's the end of the world. You know, they, they were looking at this great opportunity that they, they have in their hand. They have an offer of admission from maybe, maybe it's their top choice school, but for whatever reason, Financially, it's just not going to work. And so I say to them, you know, it's not the end of the world. Again, like you said earlier, you chose this school to apply to for a reason. So let's mm-hmm. think about what those reasons are. You know, d- don't put blame on your parents. You know, don't give them a hard time. But again, look for the opportunities that are there because maybe that's a place that's going to afford some, some terrific financial opportunities for a student that, you know, their quote-unquote yeah. top choice doesn't. Yeah, I, I, you're you're absolutely right. I, I think that there's there's some value to having some some skin in the game, uh, to having some investment. It's wonderful if you don't have to contribute to your own education, but I think that it's also fair to think about how that might work for you and how how that might give you more that you invest sort of emotionally into the experience that you have. Um, it's not. You know, for parents, it's not easy to save for college these days. I mean, it is really hard to cover the cost of a lot of these institutions. And so uh, I, I love that sort of point about you know, don't beat yourself up about this, the feeling like you failed your kids, because it just it costs a lot, a lot of money for, for a lot of institutions. And so, you know, the more open I think that you can be about these conversations and what it looks like, I found in my experience that students are so much more receptive to parents sort of saying, you know, look, we've been saving and this is what we have. And it's just not going to be enough for this particular sticker price or this net price rather. Um, and so I think that that sort of open conversation can be, can be helpful. Um, Lisa, you know, we're, we're sort of, I think at this point, at least when this segment uh, airs, it's sort of triage at this point, right? It's sort of like, you've got a week left. You're going to have some tough conversations. Mm -hmm. You know, go to your separate quarters, get logical, take away the emotion. Let's let's see if we can have good conversation. But I do want to ask you, um, with a couple of minutes that we have left, suggestions that you might have for parents of juniors who are entering this mm-hmm, process yeah. now, who are starting to choose colleges now. How can you put yourself in a position so that you don't have these difficult conversations in April uh, with one week mm-hmm. to go? Yeah, I'm glad you asked, and I think that is a, a great opportunity for juniors and their parents to be on the up and up about expectations, um, about availability of funds. You know, it, it's it's a little tricky because sometimes you know we're known to say to families, don't write off a school just based on the sticker price because you never know what kind of money you might get and so on and so forth. So, I, I I'm loath to say to families dismiss a school right now as juniors because of the cost. 
because you don't know what you're going to qualify for, whatever that might be. But but be honest about it with each other, with you know, parents saying, look, if, if we don't get any aid or if you don't get any merit scholarship dollars or outside scholarship money or what have you, we're most likely not going to be able to foot the bill for this place. You know, know that going in, and maybe you have to make the determination over time as a family as to whether that is a school they should apply to. Right. You know, right. Again, just with the unknowns that are out there, right? Because we, we both know that a lot of the scholarship opportunities start to come in throughout the course of senior year, those outside numbers and, and you know, not just need-based aid. And so uh, they may not know at this point what money might be out there for them. And right. So it's, it's a challenge. But I think it, they need to talk this over about their their uh, misgivings about a school or their concerns about a school or the things they like about a school uh, and, and just kind of constantly have that conversation as they start to visit colleges, as they start to do their, their research into colleges. They're, they're looking at their lists and they're looking at their possibilities. And it's important also for them to be strategic about how they do build that list to make sure that they do have not just safeties in terms of academic possibility, but financial safeties too, right? Yeah. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think that's exactly right. And you know, the last little thing that I'll say on this front is, you know, only apply to schools that you are interested in attending. I think that that's a really important thing for students to pay attention to. And if you don't want to apply to a college that your parent really wants you to apply to, uh, fight that battle in the fall. Because if you get in, now it's a much harder thing to fight. Um, and if you don't want your student applying to a particular school that you know you won't pay for. Don't count on them being denied, right? Let's let's have that conversation yep. early on and make it be open lines of communication. Um, Lisa, I, I, hopefully we've given some methods to support these tough conversations. But you know, in the end, it's it's the student and the parent uh, together, and I think that they can be excited about this next step, and and that's really what we're going for. So I, I want to thank you for coming on and, and reminding us that the focus should be on the student, and uh, it's it's a great opportunity to think about what comes next. Absolutely, it's a pleasure. Thanks, Ian. Wonderful. Folks, when we come back, we're going to be talking about some ways you can pick up financial aid along the way through high school. So don't go anywhere. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Are you ready for a broad look at everything to do with the world of sports? 
If so, tune in to the Mike Abadir Show. It's a unique perspective to the connections between sports and business. Host Mike Abadir has negotiated numerous deals in the NFL. Along with co-host Gino Bacola, Mike will bring his expertise, discussion, and some terrific guests to the airwaves. Listen live for the Mike Abadir Show every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. All right, welcome back to the show for our final segment of the day. It's just a wee little segment on micro scholarships. And that's the second time I've done that, boys. Um, joining me to walk us through the land of micro scholarships is our friend from snowy Minnesota, Kathy Ruby. Kathy, welcome back to the show. Glad to be here, Ian. And yes, it is snowy here in Minnesota and windy and kind of miserable. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. I thought it was just always lovely in the Midwest. Um, <laughs> at least that's what you guys are always telling me. Like, come visit, come yeah, visit. It usually so. is. It usually is. Okay, well, we'll just pretend like the weather is wonderful um, and that it's just this sort of beautiful blanket of snow. And now we're going to talk about micro scholarships, which I have absolutely no idea what they are. Uh, and, and I'm hoping that you can help me learn. Um, so let's start with the basics. What is a micro scholarship? Okay, so a micro scholarship is, is a lot what it sounds like, right? So it's a small monetary reward that high school students can actually earn while they're in high school. And then the funds are banked so that they can use them at a particular college someday. So the idea is that you earn a variety of little scholarships over time through your high school career by doing certain things like doing community service or getting an A in an AP class or being the captain of a a sports team or president of a club. Um, And then the money is awarded to you when you eventually enroll at a particular college. So These scholarships are actually awarded through a website called Raise Me. Um, It's www.raise.me, and it's a website some of our listeners have probably already heard of. They may be familiar with it. So it's it's a San Francisco startup with some creative ideas, really, about how to connect students with colleges and help them earn money along the way. So how does this work for for students? It almost sounds like a, an incentive that's very similar to, you know, your dad saying, hey, if you get an A in this class, I'm going to buy you some ice cream. <laughs> um, but it's a small scholarship from a, from a private company instead. So how does it actually work for students? 
Yeah, so the money is actually coming from the colleges themselves. So the way it works is that students enroll in on Raise Me, um, so it's free for them to enroll, and then they research different colleges. So this is really about helping get students get interested in going to college and learning more about different kinds of colleges. So at, mm. at currently there are over 300 colleges who participate, um, and so then what happens is the student will follow a college that they're interested in. And then the student enters their various achievements as they're going through high school, and this can start as early as ninth grade. Um, it turns out that Raise Me is actually being used by some college access programs. It turns out it's also a good tool just for a high school student to use to keep track of the things they're doing throughout their high school yeah. career. So that's, that's a good thing. Helps keep them organized. Um, and then each of those schools will offer different micro-scholarships for different accomplishments. So every, every school is going to be different. And essentially, the school just has to promise that if the student gets accepted to and enrolls at that institution, so they do have to get accepted to the, to the school, um, then the college will award them at least the minimum of their accumulated micro-scholarship. So, so for the student, it's a great way to learn about schools um, and earn school, scholarships for schools that they might never have heard of before. Um, and then, of course, some that they have, because there are some well-known names on the site as well. So is it fair to say that you've got multiple pools of micro-scholarships for different schools, or do you have one pool of scholarships that can be applied to whatever school you're admitted to? Yeah, from what I can tell, you're going to have different pools of scholarships for different colleges. Gotcha. Okay. So it's so, not just one. Yeah. So so what are schools getting out of this? They're, they're sort of just giving money out to students, and I guess they don't have to give it to them unless they ultimately attend, but what sort of is the, the advantage for colleges working in this process? Yeah, I mean, it's a marketing tool, really. I mean, it's a way for them to get their yeah. name out there to students, So, and colleges, as we know, are always looking at different ways to reach students. Um, and so it gives them access to students they might otherwise not have access to. But I think it's important to, to, to remember, too, this means all kinds of students. So all different sorts of students will be registering on Raise Me. Um, and it's actually designed to encourage overall college attendance. And it's trying to target, you know, first-generation, low-income students who really can be intimidated by the whole menu yeah. of things that you have to do to go to college. So, you know, it's it's based on some pretty good... Uh, psychology that says, okay, if we can break this into manageable tasks, if we do these things, <clears throat> then ultimately it might end up in college attendance and they get an idea about what kinds of scholarships might be awarded. Um, I attended a session at a conference about Raise Me and there was actually a woman there representing a, a public urban university and they were, um, and they were using Raise Me and they were, they had some pretty serious college access initiatives happening and this was a way that they were able to reach out to different kinds of students than they might find in traditional searches um, and mm -hmm. award scholarships for accomplishments that weren't the standard things like test scores and GPA. So they were really using it as a way to get at some students that they were trying to recruit um, that might not otherwise have found them. That's pretty cool. I think, you know, if you, especially if you have something that has a lower bar barrier to entry, you sort of sign up and see what's there for you. That I can imagine that there are more exactly. users taking advantage. And so there's, there's more money going to, to kids that might need it who don't know how to, you know, start a thousand word scholarship essay, let's say. 
Um, now, one of the concerns that I think a lot of people would have around this is that this money is ultimately replacing the kind of merit money that students might be awarded eventually anyway. So um, it's it's eating into the award you'd already get. You're not actually getting anything on top of what you would get um, as an applicant, as a senior. So is that true? Is that a concern people should have? Well, it's true, but I don't think it's a concern. So, um, okay. And in fact, they're pretty open about it on the website. They do say that eventually when you receive an award from a college, the Raise Me money will be folded into other money. It may not be specifically named Raise Me Micro Scholarship. Um, but so what if that's the case, actually? So I think it's nice, it, even if all you get from a college is what you earned through Raise Me, isn't it nice to know what you're going to get before you even are accepted to a college, right? Because these days, you know, people have to wait until they've been accepted before they hear. Um, right. <clears throat> and then remember, the, the, I guess the opposite is also true, that you can get more than what you earn through Raise Me. So <clears throat> the micro scholarships might just be part of a larger merit scholarship that you get from the college, so that's great. Um, and also families who have need-based financial aid eligibility should still be going to those college websites to try the net price calculators because they might, may find out that they qualify for a lot more need-based grants and scholarships than what the Raise Me site is going to earn for them. So, you know, I think, yes, it replaces money they might already have been awarded, but it's good to know about it ahead of time and you might get more. So it's really, to me, it's really a win-win situation. The students get exposed to different colleges, um, and they're incentivized to do the things you have to do to get into college, and then colleges get to award their money to students who deserve it um, and students who might otherwise not have known about who they were. Are you seeing, just sort of anecdotally, are you seeing that, that colleges that tend to be a little bit more generous with financial aid are schools that are participants in these programs, or is there not any sort of relationship there? You know, I can't speak perfectly to that because you can't actually see the full list <clears throat> of participant, oh, or participating okay. colleges unless you actually register, and I didn't quite feel comfortable posing as a student. But from the <laughs> names I saw, I would say it was a pretty broad range of institutions and also based on the conference session that I yeah. attended. Um, so there are some pretty selective institutions, um, but also some not as selective institutions. So I think it's a pretty broad range um, right now, and I think it's growing. Um, you know, it's only, you know, of course, there are three or 4,000 colleges in the country. There's only over 300 on it now, but I think it's a growing concern, I'm sure. And, and I would imagine that, that there are no schools that are need-only aid that are participants in this kind of program. Um, there could be a couple. They may be banking on... Um, the kinds of students they're going to get. Uh, I see. Demonstrated need. Yeah. A couple okay. names that that were mostly need-based, but they might have a little bit of merit aid as well. Okay. So, but yeah, you're right. I think this is going to be more for schools who offer merit aid anyway. Okay. Gotcha. Now, it, Raise Me is one example. Um, are there other micro-scholarship websites that are similar to Raise Me that people should keep an eye out for? Well, there's not one that's anything exactly like it. But I do think um, it's good for people to know the College Board has recently created something that's a little bit similar. Um, it's more of a lottery scholarship program, but uh, the idea behind it is the same. So you have to do six different tasks in the college search process. And then as you accomplish each one of these six ta tasks, which, as you would expect, are related to things that the College Board does, so we'll get to that in a minute, um, then you're entered in a lottery to win a small scholarship. 
Uh, and then if you do all six of these things, you can be entered in a lottery to win a very large scholarship at the end. So it's similar in that it's trying to encourage kids to do what it takes to go to college, but there's no guarantee that you're actually going to receive some money. Um, so there, it's called the College Opportunity Scholarship, and it can be found on the Big Future website, which we refer to quite a bit on this yeah. on this show. Um, so bigfuture.collegeboard.org, and then you go to the Paying for College tab and the section on grants and scholarships, and there's a whole section on the College Board Opportunity Scholarships. Um, and so this has kicked in for the class of 2020, so current seniors are not eligible. Um, and the tasks are that you build your college list, so that's the first thing you have to do. So you have to actually create an account in Big Future and create a list of colleges that you're interested in. Um, the next task is that you have to practice for the SAT using the mm-hmm. Khan Academy okay. uh, tool. And then you need to improve your SAT score, uh, strengthen your college list, complete the FAFSA, and then in the end, apply to colleges. Okay. So all things so, that we think should, students should do anyway, but now you're getting right, a little exactly. bit of money for it too. Yeah. And the lotteries run for different time frames. So, you know, for a few, you know, it lasts for like four or five months for you to improve your SAT score or, um, you know, or build your college list. So there's a time range um, in which you have to do that. Gotcha. Okay. That sounds pretty cool. Uh, Kathy, I think that was a terrific introduction to micro scholarships. um, And I want to thank you so much for coming on to share with us. Happy to be here. Now, you and I know, Kathy, something that listeners do not know about this segment. And that is that it was your final segment as a member of our college coach team. Because you see, Kathy is leaving college coach to work directly for colleges and universities as a marketing and research consultant for financial aid. She doesn't know that I was gonna do this. And I'm doing it now. I wanna say that Kathy has been among my most favorite colleagues in my time here at College Coach. And I know our listeners will be familiar with the seemingly effortless way with which she provides her expertise and the good humor that characterizes her interaction with everyone she meets. I'm so proud to be able to call you friend, Kathy, and I'm so lucky to have learned so much from you, and I want you to know that we're going to miss you. Thank you, Ian. I'm going to miss all of my college coach colleagues and, and our listeners, too. That's right. So, folks, the show must go on, even without Kathy. Next week, we're back with a whole new slate of segments. We'll talk about kindness in the admissions process, what to do after you've deposited, and we'll even welcome the student of the year and creator of Being Not Rich at the University of Michigan to talk about ways you can save money in school. Good luck with your final decisions and enjoy the rest of the academic year. Have a terrific day. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. We'll be right back.